Hey, folks, it's KP Burke. We're giving you a little message up front here on this particular episode of American Loser, which uh, we're very excited about. It's a great topic. Uh, the guy's name is Jack Shackelford, if you didn't read that in the title already. And you're going to realize why he was a very fascinating man with a very uh, particular uh, front row seat to some of the most crazy stuff in American history, or should I say Texas history, Dad? Texas history. Texas history. So obviously LP's in the studio here. Uh, I'm good to go right now. Uh, I'm very excited. I want to just go ahead and get these announcements out of the way real quickly if I can. Uh, those who've been following me through stand-up, it really means a lot to me. I've been doing this shit for 10 years. I've been on the road with some of the very best. I've had some of the best nights of my life ever doing this. This is a lifelong passion that I'm seeing come to a reality. So do me a solid if you can. All right. On May 24th, uh, it's a Tuesday. My full album, the full special, Escape from Jacksonville, uh, filmed and directed by none other than Christian Cordez, a.k.a. The big, kahuna. <laughs> the big kahuna. I didn't know if you were referring. I don't know if I was speaking in this intro. So I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> no, we're just doing the intro to get that out of the way because we have an action packed episode here for you. But Kahuna busted his ass on this one. Um, it was so much fun to work with you on it, man. Uh, it was great to have uh, the support of uh, Mike and Ming. Mike actually showed up. Ming, you're on the shit list. Um, but that's coming out. That's coming out through the laugh button at 800 pound gorillas. Uh, the record company. Yeah, I'm just very excited about it. You will see if you follow me on social media, I'm back on Twitter. It's at KP Burke sucks over on Twitter. I hate it, but it's a necessary evil right now. I started a TikTok at KP Burke sucks. Okay. Um, he Instagram. Follow me, people. What a <laughs> <dick>. <laughs> I have to get on there and learn how to work the machine again, the Twitter machine. Uh, and then KP Burke over on Facebook and obviously at KP Burke sucks on Instagram. So if you follow me on any of those things here, I'm going to have tons of links for it, please. Uh, the YouTube is free. Okay, the YouTube, the full thing that Kahuna shot and edited that I performed 10 years of writing these dick jokes. Um, and we filmed it at the Smod Castle in Leonardo, New Jersey, uh, right there in the heart of the Clerks universe. So um, do me a favor, just watch the thing. Okay, share it with some friends. This is a, a grassroots thing here. I'm trying to be William Jennings Bryan and I'm trying to compete. Okay. <laughs> I am William Jennings Bryan, and I'm trying to compete with big business. I don't have Rockefeller money. Okay. I don't have Carnegie money. I have Kahuna money. The support of the Kahuna is all I have. And uh, it just means a lot to me. So please check that out if you can. That's again coming out on the 24th. The album's also available on iTunes. You can listen to it on Spotify, all these other things. And eventually, all that full stuff's going to come onto SiriusXM once that lawsuit gets settled down. So that's the biggest date uh, I would probably say of my life uh, since the time I met Brooklyn Chase. Um, that's <laughs> May 24th, that bad boy's coming out. So it's escape from Jacksonville. That's what it's called. Do me a favor that this is the one I need you for. Okay. This is a call to action folks. If you choose to do anything beyond that, maybe come out and see me live. Uh, this episode's going to be coming out later today. I hope. So that means you would still have time if you wanted to, to come buy tickets, to see me opening up for Robert Kelly, my good friend, Robert Kelly. I, I love that guy. He's honestly, I think the funniest guy I've, I've ever worked with ever. Um, he's going to be down in Atlantic City with me. We're over at uh, Resorts uh, in AC, so I'm excited about that one. That's on May 20. I'm sorry, May 14th, May 21st, folks. If you are in the Northern New Jersey area, or hell, anywhere within an hour, That's come it. on out. The Dojo of Comedy in Morris Plains. Tips. It's the upstairs. They turned into a wonderful, awesome club. Uh, Mike Romanelli and Sam Tripoli have done an amazing job with that place. I'm going to be headlining. It's the album release party, Dad. Album release. All right. Tiffs. Got to enunciate there. Tiffs. T-I-F-E-F. -F. <laughs> Don't be looking for a strip club. 
Yeah, uh, that sounds tits. like tits. Yeah, tits. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be on May 21st. You can find all sorts of info on that one. Uh, check out, again, my social media pages there, if you will. And again, if you wanted to, for as little as $3 a month, you can go ahead and join the Patreon, which gets me to keep doing this show. We're in the grind right now. I'm trying to promote an album, trying to move on to the next project here. We're also trying to keep this show quality for you guys that have been down with us since day one and those who have recently discovered the show. We love you. Do me a favor. That's the way to support us, if you can. No more announcements here. We're getting right into it. Please enjoy Jack Shackelford. It don't matter what I try. I just can't win and I don't know why. There's a fork in every road. I pick the wrong one and then I go. American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born all right, folks, we're getting right into it here. We promised you. All right, the announcements are out of the way. We're done. Okay, Lawrence Patrick Burke, say hello to the people. Hey, people, what's going on? We're excited to be here and come out to Kevin's thing. It's it's going to be a good time. See, he already rehashes <laughs> something we just <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom. He can't help himself. You ha- uh, But you, you can't fault the man for wanting to promote. I, I can't stress it enough. I mean, this is going to be a great show. You're merely missing out if you're, if you're not there. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be a good one here. Uh, actually, we are live at a Shared Universe podcast studio in uh, Homedale, New Jersey, the Bellworks. His first time at this location, but I think, what, what's it? What, we have to three or four? No, four. This is four. Number four, baby. This is four. Um, oh. Today's loser is a medical doctor. Okay. So, of course, we brought on Dr. Tristan Vidrero, who uh, <laughs> he may or may not have gone to medical school, but he did sign half of my forms for Boy Scout camping trips as a, as a physician. Yeah. So. Welcome back to the show, buddy. What's going on? Well, ironically, I did get my medical degree in Mexico, so um, it, it kind of qualifies for today. <laughs> there you go. Two for two, baby. Um, it's good to have you here, pal. Good to see you. He's rocking his playoff beard. Hopefully, uh, the Rangers will keep that alive here for him. And yeah. real quickly, I got one, one thing we got to do. Behind the ones and twos, you guys know who it is. Go ahead and let them know who you are. What's on. up, man? <laughs> How are you? Cahoons, have you ever heard of Jack Shackelford? No. Yeah, I no, yeah, no. It's a rather eventful life. Shackleford, yeah, Shackleford. So we've brought on. Sounds uh, like a really shitty car brand. (laughs) (laughs) Introduced in the 1959 Shackleford. Yeah, it looks like the fucking. It looks like a jalopy. Just drives onto the car lot. He would be made by Preston Tucker. Well, it is. Fuck you, man. Wow. That hit, a, that hit a tender spot, I the think. Passion. Yes, it did. <laughs> I was going to say, it is It is uh, from Alabama, so the shitty part does kind of qualify. It's there, man. We have, uh, we, yeah, don't, don't, I'm not trying to go on the road or anything, Tristan. Yeah, don't. Have, <laughs> I'll tell you why. Uh, the doc said it, not KP. It's a. Uh, <laughs> the key with this guy here is that we talk about loser fodder or loser criteria. And uh, we've brought on, and by the way, this is why Tristan's one of our very favorite guests. As pointed out by my father, a former school teacher, um, color-coded notes, everything stapled, um, about as professional as it gets. Um, I would say there's a couple of cousins that have come on the show that have been very well prepared. I think Tristan has upped the ante. Okay, really, I'm 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 kind of uh, humbled here by my meager little paper rustling. He really outshone the outshone the. Uh, 
the the main paper rustler. Of if the you show. listen closely, folks, you can hear the spray paint going <laughs> over the part where it says KP Birkin is dead. It now says KP Birkin is friend Tristan present. <laughs> <American Loser. laughs> Doctor. Have fun in South Beach. <laughs> Best of luck in your future endeavors. You I'm, I'm Keanu Reeves in the replacement. That's a <laughs> <laughs> chicks dick cigars, man. Um, so again, you guys already know the topic for this one. And Tristan really did go above and beyond here. I'm very excited to see what we've come up with. Um, but you guys have probably, and there, there's some very smart listeners to this show, but for the most part, you've probably never heard of Jack Shackelford. But he's very famous for being one of the only survivors of the Goliad Massacre, which is, again, something that we got some very smart listeners, but the average person has probably not heard of. He was heavily involved in the Texas Revolution, which you may have heard of. Uh, and that, of course, involved the Alamo, which if you haven't heard of, there's so many other podcasts you could be listening to. All right. Honestly, <laughs> give me something to work with on this one. Um, but this guy's pretty interesting. Uh, as we already joked about, uh, T, he is um, he will lead a very extraordinary life. I thought he was he's kind of a great point of view character. He's a boots on the ground guy that you can kind of tell the story through the eyes of. Does that make sense? Uh, I was just going to say, if 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 the Texas Revolution was Game of Thrones, he's kind of the Blackfish. So specific. <laughs> he's he's a good character, but he gets lost. He gets lost in the sauce. I mean, just looking him up when you text you texted me who we were looking up today. I found the Wikipedia page and maybe one other page of him. No video, no videos underneath the videos. There was some doctor with the same name that died not too long ago. His obituary. I, I did not find much on this guy. I know where he was, what he did, and how he died. Yep. And in going into that, I learned probably more about the Texas War of Independence in 24 hours than I have 38 <laughs> years of my life. <laughs> As we've always yeah. said on the show, too, it's a history's not boring. Your teachers were or your curriculum was. And for this one, this particular story, too, I thought was interesting because the quality of sources has to be questioned, too, because – there's some things that downplay some of the events. And then there's also Texas history where it's pretty much um, like Texas history is. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, pretty much it's it, it, like you said, it is a Game of Thrones, a good versus evil thing. It's the, uh, you know, uh, Jon Snow versus the White Walkers here. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think part of that, too, is that as soon as you make somebody a martyr for the cause, you know, if somebody gets killed fighting for their their cause um, after that, they're their hero status takes on just level upon level on, on the, of the higher order, if you will. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one uh, uh, too, Tristan, that when we first figured this guy out or Jack Shackelford, I mean, I never heard of him either, but uh, interesting, a lot of different wormholes you could go down though uh, in researching the uh, Texas War for so independence. In this, uh, in this duel between, uh, and by the way, the way we're seated in the uh, studio right now, Tristan and my father are facing each other, both with their cards laid out on the table in front of them <laughs> in some sort of a, a showdown of who did there more research. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I've got them both set up for success, and I'm going to make sure that these guys both shine because they always do. So it's going to seem like I'm skipping over parts of his life, but I'm not, okay? Jack Shackelford leads a very extraordinary life as a medical doctor. Okay, a politician and a soldier. And yet, as Tristan mentioned, his Wikipedia page is barely a full screen on the computer. And in order to do him some justice, some justice, a show called American Loser has to step in and get involved here. 
So it's not a great sign for uh, not an auspicious start for him here. But yeah, when you're counting no. on America lose to give you your just due, <laughs> sorry, dude, <laughs> you, you you lost. <laughs> There's a couple loose receptions in here, and I'm very curious because I think T uh, pulled off a, a loose jersey connection. He says, "Oh, as loose. I mean, loose as any girl down the Jersey Shore." <laughs> Hey, my sister lives down the Jersey Shore. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what. So, again, we already said it. Medical doctor, politician, soldier. Obviously, we mentioned the Texas Revolution. So, it's kind of weird, too, that this guy's going to be born on March 20th, 1790 in Richmond, Virginia. And, you know, uh, probably came from some means that he's able to go to medical school around this time frame. Gets his medical degree, does become a physician, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he, you got to remember too, though. Medical school back then it was uh, pay to play, somewhat, yeah, somewhat <laughs> sketchy. Absolutely, it was pay, pay to, play. to play. It was Absolutely. you had enough money to attend enough courses. You know, oh, now you're a doctor. Right. He went to the Kellogg School of Medicine. It's um, a, a callback to an earlier Tristan episode. Oh, see, there you go. Uh, the, the Cahoons is plugged in. He knows, man. <laughs> so uh, again, he gets married. Uh, it seems like he's going to settle into a nice, quiet life as he moves and relocates to Winsboro, South Carolina. But uh, the young doctor winds up serving in the U.S. military after America invades Canada, which is still British controlled at the time frame. And then the uh, British actually in turn invade the United States. A little debacle that you guys can learn about for as little as $3 a month. Um, <laughs> parts one and two of the literal book that dad and I wrote on this um, nice about segue, the War of 1812. Kate. Nice segue, KP. So, yeah, pull that one off if you can. <laughs> But uh, we know because we listened to that episode, and Tristan also is a member of the Founding Losers, and uh, and again, probably uh, he's a he's a Mount Rushmore uh, type of guest on the show. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, eighteen twelve, there's a, there's a couple big names that are involved with that whole story, but I don't know if any of them are bigger than the guy that Jack Shackelford winds up serving under. Uh, this guy's going to become a future president of the United States and is Mister Twenty Dollar Bill himself, Andrew Jackson. So. Um, he's serving under Jackson. He actually gets wounded in battle in what I, I couldn't find it because it says he was wounded in Charleston, but I couldn't find any military action in Charleston. So I don't know if he was wounded in combat or if he fell off of a ladder, you know, or, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know what the deal was, but it says wounded. <laughs> fell off a bar stool or something, but anyhow. Well, luckily he's a doctor too. So he's probably able to patch himself up or at the very least give himself a second opinion. Put it in a pickle jar. That's, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, callback city over here, man. Kahuna is so plugged in. That was a Dan Sickles reference because Tristan was on for that one too. Probably our most infamous episode. <laughs> which the, You don't even have to pay for that one, folks. It's free. It's still up there. Go check it out on iTunes. Please do. Um, now he winds up getting a, a chance to serve underneath this major hero of the time. And again, future president, Andrew Jackson. Um, and you'd think that, you know, maybe after that, he'd go back, maybe enjoy some of the, the fruits of his labor. You know, I, I served under Jackson kind of a thing. He winds up moving to uh, Alabama and he still has the medical practice. He's now married with kids. And now in Alabama in 1818, he buys himself a cotton plantation during the height of the value of that cash crop. So he must have done well for himself in the profit margin between the plantation and the medical practice uh, and a very surefire sign that he's successful is he gets himself involved in politics, which, Dad, you just said medical school was pay to play. Is <laughs> yeah. there anything more pay to play than politics? <laughs> no, it's all for the for the good of the people. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you how many <laughs> millionaires have said, I'm here to fight for the little guy. That's what they taught us at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he does wind up moving down to Alabama. He's got this plantation going on over there, and he does serve three terms in the Alabama State Senate from 1822 to 1824. And is uh, 
things are going pretty well for this young man. Uh, again, a doctor, a politician, he's holding public office, a uh, prestigious plantation owner, but his cousin kind of screws him over a little bit in the business world. Uh, he acts as what was known as a surety. Okay. So that's pretty much the co-signer. That's uh, if this all goes to hell, my credit's getting affected too kind of a thing. Right. <laughs> and You're uh, co-signing the note. Yeah. For this cousin's business and the cousin's business fails. And when the business fails, Jack is now on the hook financially. He's got no choice left but to sell the plantation. Now, that's um, that's got to be heartbreaking, but it's not so bad when you can fall back on your medical degree, <laughs> okay? It's, it's not exactly rock bottom, but uh, he's uh, – again, to move this thing forward, and it sounds like I'm skipping around, but you guys, you need to – the nuance is not what you want to know about the early part of this guy's life. What you want to know is the meat and potato shit that's coming your way here because now – the year is 1835, and his former boss, the man he served under, Mr. $20 Bill himself, Andrew Jackson, is now the president of the United States. And uh, believe it or not, guys, um, this might sound crazy, and on the show occasionally we've noticed that history does repeat itself. There's a little tension at the southern border right now, Dad. Yeah, it's a little bit of back and forth uh, on the southern border for sure. Um, we're talking about the, uh, the Mexican border. Um, Mexico, Mexico is a mess. There's no doubt that they just recently gained their own independence from Spain. So you had the Spanish who were originally, uh, in Mexico set up the whole Mexican state. Um, and, you know, I think modern day listeners think of Mexico south of, uh, the Rio Grande. Well, Mexico at that particular point in time was a, a much, much larger land holding. As a matter of fact, 10 states of it the United still had States. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> huh? For starters, it still had Texas. Yeah, they still had Texas <laughs> for starters. Most but, of California. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was oh, an additional 10 states that are now called the United States that at one time were part of Mexico. I mean, California, Nevada. Arizona, Utah, Texas, Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming, even parts of Kansas and, and Oklahoma. So, I mean, that's a pretty good amount of territory. Well, anyhow, the long and the short, um, the Mexicans finally win their independence from Spain in 1821, but things are a mess. I mean, it's there's a lot of uh, forces at, to play. The church certainly being one of them. The land hold the land holders are the the rich, if you will, the the top two percent, um, the working class who are, are dirt poor. Um, and there's a lot of politicos back and forth trying to gain power within within Mexico. But they come up with this idea um, because, especially in Texas, um, the uh, Comanches, the the Native Americans that were there first, long before. The Mexicans are long before the Spanish were there. They're still a force to be reckoned with. Now, they're pretty much the northern part of Texas. Um, the Mexicans get this idea, well, you know what? We need people to settle these, these territories, this Texas <laughs> territory. So we're going to offer up uh, various land deals to the, uh, to the Americans um, with the idea that that's going to create a buffer between the Mexicans and the Comanches. So hang let on, the hang on, Dad. Are you telling me <laughs> that the Mexicans are having a hard time with the Native Americans and they're kicking them off their land? Yeah, well, yeah. 
Hang on. I know, I know. I it, read in a blog once. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's one of those, so you're telling me when a Texan complains about a Mexican coming into Mexico, I mean, coming into Texas, that means they're actually coming back into their own land right it's it's the truth it's <laughs> go back to where you came from uh yeah well that's where i came from the border doesn't show up on the you know it's a, just on the map folks okay you can't see the letters that say united states <laughs> yeah ridiculous um but you're right about that too they the comanche are so feared that there's this idea of a buffer is going to be there but the americans that come in uh they don't want anything to do with the comanche either so they all kind of yeah, they kind of settled um, a little closer to the coast and in, in, in the south uh, southeast part of uh, of Texas, if you will. Uh, and there was a lot of things back and forth, a lot of stipulations that the Mexican government placed on these uh, on these gringos. Um, and again, there's a whole cultural, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, there's a whole cultural difference there as well but one of the provisos again the, the church is such a uh, a strong force within mexico that anybody coming into mexico to buy their land had to promise to convert to roman catholicism um you know and a lot of the a lot of the americans that did come into mexico for for these various land deals because it was cheaper than it would be to buy land in the United States. I mean, they're getting a deal. Plus, um, the economy in the United States at that particular time was not too swift, and it was hard to get credit where the Mexicans were offering land mm-hmm. on credit. Um, so it was it was kind of a, oh, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll convert, we'll do this, we'll do that. Uh, what were the rules? I think it was um, no slavery. Well, yeah, and again, initially there was they were allowing um, Americans to come in with their slaves, and then a couple years later, change in government in Mexico decided, yay, that's not going to work. No, 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 we're not no no slaves. Just to give you guys a hint here too, by the way, how wild and unstable is Mexico? You ask. Well, uh, Kahuna between. The years 1833 and 1855, <laughs> the Mexican presidency will change hands 36 times. Uh. 36. And 11 of those times, it will be held by one man. 11 <laughs> of those times. Okay? We're talking about a, 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 about a third of the time this guy comes back into power. Yeah. and No, less than that. I mean, tw- in 22 years' time, from like you said, Kev, from 1833 to 1855, that presidency changed thirty six times in a twenty two year time span. So, I mean, so he's the, he's the Ric Flair of Mexican <laughs> presidency. <laughs> I'm wearing the belt. <laughs> Enter, by the way, we should say the fellow's name here, um, Antonio de Padua Maria Severino Lopez de Santa Ana. We're going to call him Santa Ana for short. That's just okay. easy, easier that way. Or the Santa Napoleon Anna. of the West. The Napoleon of the West, uh, the man of destiny. There's really an Alberto Del Rio kind of vibe <laughs> to him a little bit, isn't there? The people who get that reference appreciate it. <laughs> a mix between him and Rey Mysterio. That's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Santa Anna is a fascinating character here, though. And he could be his own loser episode if we wanted to make him one. And he would fall under North American loser. But uh, we're going to tell this story a little bit differently. This this way, it's almost like watching a movie play out, and we are our camera is the eyes of Jack Shackelford. So all these people kind of know that this is going on over here around this time frame. Again, most of these tab we're, we're going to use the term Texian. Okay, Texian. Texian. Yeah, that's what they were calling themselves. Not American, not Mexicans. Texians. And I believe Tejanos. I believe they were the 
Oh my God! The, the Mexicans, Mexican American, yeah, the Mexicans, yeah, and they, and the, mm-hmm. the big thing was they hated the fact that Mexico City was, I think, twelve hundred miles away, and they were they were the ones giving the laws. Exactly. Yeah, and that was another <laughs> uh, a good point to that was Mexico City is so far away that they really lost control of of all their various territories. I mean, they fix that now, though. It's very, very much. <laughs> Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. But uh, no, I mean, California, they, they, all, all these various territories um, kind of set up their own local governments. And that was the uh, that was the deciding factor or the politicos within their regional areas, not Mexico City. So it wasn't a central government. And that was part of the, the back and forth with all these different presidential changes that Sometimes they went with local rule and then, no, 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 we're going to go with a strong central government. No, 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 we're back to, uh, you know, home rule or states' rights or whatever you want to call it. That uh, it was a whole back and forth type of a thing. And, you know, you didn't know which, what was the current deal with which way the wind was blowing as to what was, uh, what was popular right then or who's in control. Mm-hmm. Well, by 1834, Santa Ana has now dissolved the Mexican Congress and is essentially ruling as a generalissimo of sorts. And by the way, the first time we mentioned Santa Ana on here was uh, your homework for that episode, Dad, was to explain to the listeners what a generalissimo was. And that's essentially the the, the head of the military, military rule. It, it's a dictator. It, it's, um, you know, pretty much uh, the big swinging dick in charge. Military governor. Yeah. <laughs> He's calling the shots. Um, but he's backed by both the military and the clergy and the rules that were put in place for the Texans, like we said, were pretty simple. Obey Mexican rule, no slavery, and convert to Catholicism. So when the Texans start disobeying Santa Ana, the tensions will begin to rise. First, the Mexicans cut off American immigration to Texas. You're right, Tristan. You heard it correctly. That's right. Picture Santa Ana saying, making a speech, we need to build a wall. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be built quickly. And the Americans will pay for it. And the- <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so you got that. You got, which is a real policy, by the way. They did say no more Texans, can, Texians, I should say, can come in here. Um, and this combined with Mexico attempting to police the Texas settlers, okay, people that are coming, they want to be able to say, okay, we're going to be able to search you. You're not able to, um, you know, we don't want you guys bearing arms against us. We're going to regulate you here. Uh, you have to submit to our rule. Let's just say this. Texas has not changed, folks. You cannot <laughs> rule that wild little crazy part of this day, uh, the country rather. And um, it, it, it's it's underway here. It's It's time, okay? You guys know what's coming. All right, September 29th. 1835 shit is about to get wild t did you get into anything about the uh what the incident at gonzalez yeah oh very very little because i i didn't i didn't know how deep we were getting into that but i do know one of the rabbit holes i went into (laughs) did mention uh one of the one of the uh i guess he was a colonel uh, James, did you say colonel? Colonel, 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 colonel. colonel my bad. He's I'm so, sorry. I'm, I'm I served in the Boy Scouts, not the uh, Navy. The greatest. <laughs> you, didn't, you ever played Clue, Colonel Mustard? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he's, he's so the, smart. That's why we had to beat him up on uh, this, folks. <laughs> sorry, guys. Oh, it's the medical stuff. <laughs> colonoscopy. So, you colonoscopy. <laughs> so anyway, so James Walker Fannin Jr. Um, who you're, I'm sure you're going to go over. We will cover him shortly. He's imperative to the story. But the one thing about Gonzalez is, uh, basically, you know, he was involved and basically 
uh, you know, I'm gonna, uh, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't go and get too much into it, so I'm gonna let you get into it. But I do know that we get something down the line, but I don't want to make it up and say <laughs> <laughs> I did because I did not get into that at all. Well, well it's wild. Prior, prior to the incident that you're gonna jump into, Kev. One man's incident, another man's yeah, battle. There was there was a guy, an American by the name of Dewitt, who did buy property, uh, made a land deal with the Mexican government. And starts to settle it. And again, now some of the local authorities, I mean, he he was put in there originally to help deal with the Comanches and a little law and order in, a, in, the, in the wild Texas frontier. And he asks for a cannon. And the local Mexican government gives him this cannon. All right. Now things are heating up and things are going sideways. <laughs> of course they are. And Santa Ana is making moves and... Uh, abolishes the constitution that the Mexican government set up um, a few years prior. And then they, they decide that they're going to confiscate the cannon that these uh, Texians, these Americans have, and they send out a detachment, an army detachment that's pretty much made up of convicts and conscripts. So, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're taking the the uh, the dregs and sending putting a uniform on them and sending them out to go uh, go find these Americans and um, get this cannon back from them because we don't want any Americans to be having any kind of a weapon. This sound anywhere familiar to maybe something that happened on the East Coast? You know, maybe about eighty years prior <laughs> up in Boston. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go out to Lexington and uh, get the gunpowder and the arms and take care of some of these rebels. Well, anyhow, um, these Americans aren't about uh, about to give up this cannon. So there was about 18 of these guys surrounding the cannon, like blocking it from view type well, of thing. They hid the cannon. This cracks me up. They hid the cannon, but then there's 18 armed guys all standing around. Standing around. Right, you know, it's like, right. a, it's well, like with all the adults in the woods, you know, on a camping trip. And you're just like, there's no keg out here. <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of guys holding red solo cups in the middle of the woods. Keep moving. Keep moving. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, um, some of the women – um, of these Americans make this flag that became a pretty famous flag because, um, you know, when the Mexicans show up to confiscate or to take back this cannon, the Americans are like, well, come and get it. And that became like a, a rallying cry and they even made up a flag. And that became a, a real famous battle cry, if you will. You want this? Come and get it. And, uh, you know, because shit's going to get real to the point where even today – um, Tristan, you're a you're a hockey guy, right? Yes. Sir. Back in uh, back in the 2000 uh, Stanley Cup, the Dallas Stars were involved with the with the Stanley Cup playoff, and somebody in the crowd had this big, huge "come and get it" kind of a thing because they were defending the Stanley Cup that year, and they made up this big battle flag, if you will, going back to their to their roots of the "come and get it" the cannon, but they had a, a hockey uh, stick or something there instead of the cannon. But uh, anyhow, that really Texas became- pride really is the 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 biggest and most um, impressive in the country. We got Jersey pride because we're from Jersey and stuff like that. But then mm-hmm. you saw what Texas did over the last like five years. And you're like, all right, we're pussies. All right, so, <laughs> yeah, they, they, it's, it's a whole different level down there. Yeah. So the Mexicans then um, stood down. I mean, they kind of retreated that first day against these, these 18 guys and they 
uh, stepped back and said, oh, no, no, all right, we're, we're not going to go into a fight here. Um, meanwhile, I think two days later, now 170 uh, or so Americans now show up. They're kind of kind of like the Minutemen type of a deal. Yeah, about uh, a force grows overnight about ten times in size. So that's um, that's pretty good. That's uh, that's the insight uh, into uh, <laughs> uh, what's coming here, folks. You guys know it, all you need is the numbers, and then you can get them going. So. Yeah, and, and the Mexicans were a fear of that the United States was. This was all a big uh, conspiracy kind of a thing that we're going to plant all these Americans arm them up and put them into Mexico so that they can just they can just take Mexico from the Mexicans, you know, whether it's Texas or California or whatever. Um, because historically, there was a lot of previous American presidents that offered to buy Texas and the Mexicans didn't want to have anything to do with it. No sale, no sale. But, you know, how many times are you going to ask me, hey, you want to sell that shit? Hey, you want to sell that shit? Hey, we're taking that shit, you know, that- uh, It's ours now. Yeah, we it tried to buy it from there, but- Certainly backed yeah. um, with, with uh, whether through back channels or whatever, certainly something that's going to be popular, the idea of uh, Texas becoming a asset without having to pay for it. Yeah, so- um, like you said, Kevin, within, I think, uh, overnight or in a, in a day or so, um, now that force of 18 has now grown to like 170 people. And the Americans feel that, hey, the Mexicans are coming to take this cannon and, and start a fracas. So we're going to get the first punch in and they attack the Mexican force. So the first shots fired were really uh, by the Americans, but uh, uh, they kicked the uh, they kicked their ass a little bit at the, the battle of what became known as the Battle of Gonzales. But so my favorite part of this too is that uh, there's so much bad shit, and there's bad shit on both sides here. But there's so much bad shit that the uh, the Texian movement was a part of. You know what I mean? Like we just said, literally kind of stealing land, uh, not going along with uh, prior agreements, stuff like that. Um, also, uh, the, obviously, the institution of slavery being uh, a vital part of um, the, the Texas economy as well. But um, so much of it is just so easily overshadowed by how big of a prick Santa Ana is. <laughs> it's yeah. really kind of remarkable. But um, that's the whole thing now that, that they want to make in the attack. That's October 2nd. The Battle of Gonzales will kick things off. This Texas revolution is underway. And now back to, uh, as um, Tristan referred to him, the blackfish, uh, Mr. Jack Shackelford. He knows that this war in Texas is underway. He raises up a co uh, company of 70 men. That's another way, another pay-to-play thing. If you had money, you could say, hey, I'm going to muster up a unit. Okay, and then you had all, the honor uh, was bestowed upon you of being able to be the commander or lead them into battle. Again, more pay-to-play stuff, okay? Um, he knows this war in Texas is underway, gets his uh, this company. By the way, of the 70 men that he uh, brings together, uh, his oldest son is actually going to be uh, a member of the unit here. Two of his nephews and half of the men from his own hometown. So this unit will become known as the Red Rovers. Yeah, I think, Kev, that we want to um, just qualify this whole thing, that this battle takes place in Gonzales, Texas. And then newspaper reports are coming back to the United States and asking for a rallying cry that, you know, hey, um, we're looking for good men to come down and, and um, aid fellow Americans in their fight against these uh, these Mexicans that are pulling all kinds of shit down here. So, I mean, uh, um, 
he's not in Mexico. He's not in Texas. He's back in Cortland, Alabama, back Correct. home. And it's by reading in the newspaper, he gets the idea of this Battle of Gonzales took place. Well, this is national news. <laughs> this is national yeah. news. So he he uh, raises this company of guys that, uh, you know, and the townspeople rally to this whole idea about we're going down to we're going down to Texas to uh, get get things rolling here. So the unit's going to be known as the Red Rovers too, and uh, the reason being is because they're going to be wearing red jeans. Okay, that's part of their uniform. You're pretty specific looking, you know, kind of a uniform. They're going to stand a, a little bit of a zouave type look, I would say, for those who know what that term is. Um, and they're going to get into uh, a couple of things here. So the Shackleford and the boys, they will get into action eventually at the Battle of Coletto. But a few things have to happen before that. The Battle of Coletto will take place on March 19th and 20th. Shackleford and the Red Rovers will actually fight very, very well. They, in fact, repel three separate attacks from the Mexican army regulars. They will eventually be forced to surrender, though, due to a lack of water and casualties they're suffering from uh, the sharpshooters. So our boy, our lead character right now, is taken, you know, him and the boys have to surrender. There's no way around it. They fight well, but they wind up being brought into custody here. Um, and they surrender under what seems like it will be honorable terms to Mexican General Jose de Urea. Okay. I, not urethra. I just want to be clear about that. Um, <laughs> T, what do you got? Bro, I just want to let you know, you, you, you did, I know you brushed, you brushed over a lot there, but um, we're going to feed back into it. But uh, so the lead up to the battle, um, the Alamo is all after the Alamo. Everybody knows the Alamo. They see in the movie with uh, Billy Bob Thornton and the uh, really cool violin. That's the one scene. he goes to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after the Alamo, after it all happened, um, the well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's do this one here. Um, give me give me ninety seconds to set you up for success because sure. we're all going to the same Go place ahead. here. Go ahead. We told that story slightly out of order on purpose. Okay, Shackleford and the boys, the Red Rovers. Um, they wind up do they do surrender here, but again, as we kind of foreshadow, there's events that take place beforehand here. Um, the general that they surrender to, by the name of Urea, he's an honorable man, but that Santa Ana fella, he's showing this villain streak that's kind of a common thing here for him. He's still pissed off at the events a few weeks earlier, prior to the Battle of Coleto, where it seems that the Texians took over this old Spanish mission and stockpiled cannons, gunpowder, and congressmen from Tennessee inside of it. <laughs> they were surrounded, told to surrender, shot the biggest middle finger since Lexington and Concord, and the legend of the Alamo was born. So Santa Ana is told he can starve. Them. By the way, that's a huge uh, thing in terms of Santa Ana. He wants the glory for himself, not the tactical um, victory. So the whole thing is that he's told by all of his advisors, you can starve these guys out, that they will surrender. And it's an old church. It's not really vital or important to us, but it's how brash the Texans are being and how well they're fighting that it pisses off Santa Ana that the siege is now underway. And that, by the way, these these Texians, uh, them boys from uh, all around the world, like you said, Dad, uh, he, you know, we've got people coming in from Alabama, Tennessee, everything like that. Uh, one thing about Americans is, especially the Frontiers ones, these boys know how to shoot. And they're dropping some bodies. Okay, it's not uh, you're not going quietly into the night here. Yeah, on they're one. not conscripts. They're there because they volunteered for that. And Santa Ana's got a long history of even slaughtering his own people. That <laughs> you know, as as El Presidente uh, of Mexico, if there was a little uh, fracas, a little uprising or a rebellion within within Mexico, he'd go in there and wipe out the entire village. Well, that's the beauty of being the head of your own Mexican puppet government. Um, he gets to say this. This is a great thing that uh, Santa Ana gets to actually go literally public with. Um, 
he decides that uh, he's going to send a full attack on the Texians inside the Alamo, kills almost everyone, okay? And then it kills all the survivors too. Um, the Mexican puppet government gives Santa Ana full permission to treat any and all future rebelling Texians like pirates, aka terrorists, meaning you can execute them without trial. So that's why when the boys of the Red Rovers surrender to the Mexican army, Santa Ana is about to go full evil again here. The head of the Red Rovers at this time, Tristan Vidrero, is a certain gentleman that I know you went down the wormhole of. It's your time to shine, motherfucker. All right. Yeah. Uh, so Colonel James Fannin. Uh, Colonel James Fannin. I'm not going to go too deep into him because I want you to really give, give him a good look as far as a uh, future loser. Uh, because, oh man. He's got some stuff. He's got the, <laughs> he's got the qualifications. So, I mean, he was in Gonzalez. That's why, you know, I knew I, I saw it somewhere. So basically, so where we are is they are at the fort and the fort's name is um, – the Batia, oh, what is it? Um, He's going to slaughter this. Uh, He's a boy the, from Hudson uh, County. Uh, he doesn't uh, know. Fort Defiance. But which is, so long story. So anyway, let me get to the point here. Let's say the Americans called it Fort Defiance. <laughs> so Fort, Fort Defiance, I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't know. No, not, not today. <laughs> but anyway, so after the Alamo, he hears, he hears what's going on. And, you know, uh, what is it? Um, Sam Houston uh, tells wants everybody to meet meet at uh, one location. So in James Fannin's brilliancy, uh, he decides to bring all his men. I think it was a thousand muskets and nine giant cannons. And then, as your dad said earlier, he forgot water, food, (laughs) and all the important things. Yeah. And on the way to where the Battle of Colito happened. They what was it? A cannon fell in the water. They had it. They had it. Oh, they had a ditch. They had to stop and get the. Now, meanwhile, uh, the Mexicans have taken over the fort. Uh, you know they, they left. The Mexicans have taken over the fort, and they realize what's going on. So the Mexican commander, I think Juria, I believe he was Urea, the one. Yeah. Uh, he leaves his his uh, cannons behind. He says, "Let's go get them." You know, we're going to be there two hours ahead of us. We're going to go get them. And so, meanwhile, the can, the, there's a cannon stuck in the water. They get it out of the water. <laughs> and then he stops for the oxen to graze, I heard. And meanwhile, our buddy Jack Shackelford here is instructing him not to stop. We need to go. We need to get to the creek. We need to get to the timbers. Yeah, we I need feel to- like – do you guys feel that warm feeling of uh, the Mexican army on our ass? <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm feeling that. I think right. we should keep going. I don't know, guys. I smell tacos. You know, I, I, and then uh, – <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and then what was it? Canceled. The ammunition cart broke down, so they had to take time to transfer the ammunition to the ammunition cart and then another one. So at the end of the day, eventually the Mexicans catch up to them in an unfavorable spot. The Mexicans are on the top of the hill and the uh, Texians, Texians are at the bottom in tall grass thinking that they could hide, which they form a square. Stay out of the tall grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and our, our buddies, the Red Rovers, along with the Mustangs and a few other um, – and a, a Dodge Charger, several other <laughs> American <laughs> vehicles. There's, 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 you know, there's a few Beatles in there. John, Paul, Ringo. <laughs> um, and so, as so what we're getting to, and I believe what we're getting to eventually is the Battle of Colito, which it was the battle on on a field, on a basically a field where the the Texians they basically fortified themselves in a square. They had a gun on each corner, 
And as you said earlier, they repelled multiple attacks from the Mexicans until it was just too much and they, they just couldn't do it anymore. And then they were all taken prisoner uh, and hilariously brought back to the Goliad. <laughs> you said Goliad, Tristan. That's interesting. <laughs> um, it's uh, Here's the uh, the gimmick that we have going on here. So we kind of told it backwards. Okay. And we did that on purpose because when Shackelford and the Red Rover surrender, they think as Urea, who's a pretty good and noble guy, that it's going to be – we're being treated as prisoners of war. We're going to be taken back to Texas, right? That's why when they surrender, they're thinking this. But Santa Ana is going to have that full evil streak again, where, by the way, he just murdered any survivor of uh, the Alamo. There's some very disturbing <laughs> stories about rounding up the prisoners and executing them in front of a, you know, or making sure double stab these dead bodies to make sure, you know what I mean? Double tap zombie style. Um, so when he orders the execution of the Texian prisoners of war, because we're treating them like pirates now, uh, this is how wild it is that just because he's so pissed off about the Alamo and hoping to crush this rebellion swiftly by showing them, we're going to cut you guys down. Look what I do to my own people, like you said, Dad. Um, he's going to wind up calling for what becomes known as the massacre at Goliad. Lawrence Patrick? Um, yeah, I mean, all these guys have now surrendered. and uh, 425 to 450 men, by the way, are now captured. And these are willing prisoners of war that surrendered, thinking they're going to be treated as such. They'll get a chance to go back to their families, maybe spend a little time in some sort of a, a, a you know, military jail or something. Yeah, but now the, uh, the Mexican general that was in charge of the battle itself, the actual fighting part of it, was this General Jose de Urea. But now that he's captured all these uh, Texians and they're now prisoners of war, um, Santa Ana is his higher up and Santa Ana orders their execution. Now, De Area is is a a decent guy, and he argues against that. That you know that uh, that's not the yeah, way to handle. This you're going to make thing. me violate the terms I negotiated with right, to get these right. guys to so stop he shooting. He negotiated this, and now all of these guys are marched out of the fort, and um, they're marched out and then herded up and then shot. I mean, just butchered, murdered. And again, for clarity here, this is somewhere between 425 and 450 men are just being rounded up into a giant line and shot execution style. Okay. Point blank. And uh, anybody who survived the first barrage got uh, bayoneted, right? Or clubbed to death. That's some other sick shit here too. So it was like, you get a bullet, you get a bullet and yeah, you get yeah, a bullet. Absolutely. And absolutely. these are men who, again, they surrendered thinking they were going to be treated honorably. And, you know, Derurea is trying to fight this, but then these other guys have to listen to the, you know, the orders of Santa Ana. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's what I find found interesting was, you know, being how religious the Mexicans were, this all happened on dawn of Palm Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Instead of I, waving palm branches, and, we're going to be waving bayonets. <laughs> and what I realized is that they were sent out. So they were broken up the four groups. The, the people who were hurt, they stayed back, sent the four groups out like you guys had to kill them. Mm -hmm. killed, you killed the innocent and the only, the only few survived. Well, uh, a little loserception action for you here, folks. One of the roads that these gentlemen were marched at to uh, combine over at uh, Goliad, which will be the site of this terrible massacre, uh, which, by the way, Jack Shackelford and the Red Rovers are making up a large amount of this, uh, you know, over 400 people uh, that are being killed and murdered here. Uh, and it is straight up murder, too. Let's be clear about that. Um, 
they're being marched down one of the roads is San Patricio Road, huh. as in the San Patricios, as in the uh, Americans that fought for the Mexican army. <laughs> yeah, but that's a few years in in in, in the future. Yes. But uh, yeah, yeah they're, they're, it's, it's Saint Patrick's, Patrick's Road. Road. They're running. Yeah. They're a little uh, precursor. They're marched out of Fort Defiance down Saint Patrick Road or San Patricio, um, and they're herded up now. Our boy Jack. Um, he is not one of the uh, ones because of his um, physician status, because he's a doctor. Uh, he does agree that he was going to help tend to the Mexican wounded. But I, so now he's still back in the fort and he hears all this shooting going on. And what's going, what's all, what's all that? Oh, that's just, you know, <laughs> rifle practice or something. All he finds out later that what the real deal was that these guys were just marched out and butchered. I actually have a great quote by him. Uh oh. <laughs> um, when, when, you know, later on in life, he said, the reason why he was spared was not from any feelings of humanity toward me, but from a necessity for my services in their hospital. So, <laughs> you know, like your dad said, basically, he was just kept alive because he could keep their soldiers alive. Right. It's, uh, he, was, <laughs> he was still a commodity that was had some value where these Texicans were going to be made an example of. So, Santa Ana now twice has, uh, Shown how he treats, uh, you know, prisoners. That if you surrender, um, you're going to surrender at the Alamo. You're going to be butchered. You send, you surrender at um, at this latest battle. You're you're going to be uh, survivors are going to be butchered. It's again. not good PR, especially when the, the Texians and and the American you know backers of them are so quick to talk about what a sack of shit Santa Ana is. Almost everybody, you can't find someone to say a bad word about uh, Urea. Because they're like, no, this guy was all right. He was caught in a bad spot. He was protesting and fighting this up until almost the moment that the first musket was fired and killing the Texians. So Shackelford does get spared. You're right, Dad. His medical degree saves his ass. Okay. Um, and there's actually a pretty cool little subplot to this too about the angel of Goliad, who was one of the officer's wives. You know about that one, too? I, I, I don't know about it, but I – she came up in some of the things that yeah, I was yeah. reading. Yes. I like to picture she looks like Selma Hayek. That's just <laughs> but that's the casting couch. Yeah, yeah. There we go. I'm gonna bring those back. You know, um, Penelope Cruz. That's a, oh god, even Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. So anyway, uh, Shakira comes up to the guy, starts telling him like, "Listen, just <laughs> calm down. Maybe don't kill all these people. Maybe you know, keep something. Oh, what about the doctors? Keep the smart doc. We need people to work in the camps, right? And they know, they affectionately call her the Angel of Goliad because. Uh, everybody that just got gutted, bayonet, and shot out there, uh, the people that were able to survive, there were people that faked like they were dead. Like I always said this about a bayonet battle or something like that. That's got to be the nastiest wound. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a bayonet. So these guys are faking like they're dead and then running off in the night. And in order to, if you were one of the people in the camp, like Shackelford was, you had to wear a white armband at all times while walking around the Mexican army camp so that they knew these are the good gringos, the gringos that are working for us. Because otherwise, if they saw somebody, they were assuming it was more escaped dead bodies from the Goliad massacre. Shot on sight. Shot on sight is absolutely correct on that one here. Um, so again, about 450 guys just got dropped uh, over here at the Goliad massacre. Not great PR. Not great PR. James Fannin, uh, the gentleman that uh, Dr. Vidrero was just bringing up here, he is the last to be killed. Okay, after seeing his men butchered. And his requests are very simple. T, you want to tell these people? What are the three things that this poor motherfucker asked of his Mexican captors? It's it's about as bad as it gets. Um, I'll help you out here, too. (laughs) He's got Oh, no. Oh, no. When I saw this. Oh, God. This is this is the greatest F you in the world. 
So he, his three requests were he asked for his personal possessions to be sent to his family, to be shot in the heart and not in his face, and to be given a Christian burial. And then <laughs> the soldier who did the deed took his belongings, shot him in the face, burned Fanning's body, and and they, and took in, the watch as a uh, as a war prize. Yeah, and just tossed his body in with the rest of them, and they burned the <laughs> they burned the, the bodies. Very important note there too. Yeah. Keep going, sir. No, they did. They just burned the bodies, and um, you know. So there's a whole new <laughs> there's a whole new attitude uh, with the Americans to the Mexicans um, with this that you know. There's no point in surrendering. We're going to fight to the fight to the death on this one. And there's there's guys that are looking for a little vengeance uh, on this one because of uh, it's now remember the Alamo and remember Goliad. Well, yeah, that, this, that's is, the, this was one of the militias that was on their way to regroup with Sam Houston to join the, right. the Texan army. Right, gathering the forces. <laughs> right. And if you notice, these things are happening pretty quick and pretty fast. It's not a long uh, campaign here, this Texas Revolution. Um, and Sam Houston is the the guy. He's the 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 under Eisenhower type kind of a, a guy for the movement here. But he's not able to unite all these uh, uh, forces all at once here. So again, you have uh, the Battle of the Alamo, which is now a, an epic last stand. The Goliad. There's no way to spin that other than war crimes. I mean, we're talking about lining people up. Getting there's a red wedding vibe. You want to go back to the Game of Thrones references? Yeah. There's a red Ooh. wedding thing here. Oh, I thought we were we were being treated as prisoners of war. Yeah, they took. They told one group while they were still in the Fort Defiance. They told one group uh, up to the Americans, "Oh, we're going to march out because we're going to march back. Uh, we're going to bring you back up to a different part of Texas." And uh, you know, once they got outside the fort, then they just let them have it. Some of the and this all of this was verified. We're bringing you to a farm upstate where you can run around and play. <laughs> there you go. There other soldiers like him, just like you. Yeah. Um, there, there were a lot of some. There was a, a very few, a small handful of, of guys that were able to escape this massacre um, because they happened to be at the head of the column. And once they realized what was going on, <laughs> when off. they started open fire, they they just skedaddled and took off and were hiding in the in the bushes or whatever the, the case might be. So I mean, a lot of this. Um, was recounted years later by uh, Shackelford in his memoirs, but it was um, not just one guy's, you know, reminiscing kind of a thing. It was verified by a number of the other handful of survivors of, of this whole thing as that that's the that's the way it took place. Well, as they the, shot us, they um, bayoneted us, and then they burned the bodies. And the remains there are being picked at by the vultures when they, uh, the Texian forces finally find them. Jesus. Um, it's pretty brutal. Um, point is, Santa Ana has a whole lot of uh, villainy coming through his veins here, and he has now secured a guaranteed Texas-style ass-whooping coming his way. Upon hearing of the Goliad Massacre, uh, Teddy Roosevelt drove a Zamboni down to the rim <laughs> and clotheslined Santa Ana back to hell before finishing off with a couple of Tedweisers. <laughs> sort of, sort of. Um, Shackelford is captured, like we said here, and he's now being uh, escorted around with the Mexican army. Uh, so he's now no longer an active part. And by the way, we did mention this too. He survived the massacre. His son is one of the people killed. Yeah, what was his son's name? No, no, uh, oh, man, it was some kind of weird. Yeah, Agonosist or something like that. <laughs> he also had a couple of nephews that were um, within the river. Fortunatus. Fortunatus. Yeah. It's um, his son's dead. The nephews are dead. Half the town, oh, the yeah. company that he just rounded up, all the people that came under his command. I mean, it's it's a tough 
that that's not an easy thing to the survivor's guilt of that has to be absolutely brutal here. And now he's being forced to care for the Mexican wounded here as we're talking about. So again, keep your white uh, armband on and just try to stay alive long enough here. Shaq will remain a prisoner until the Battle of San Jacinto, which will take place about a month after the Goliad massacre. I like how you just casually just called him Shaq. <laughs> Shaq. <laughs> that's my casting couch. That would be great. Jack Shaq. It's, <laughs> Jack Shaq. I'm a doctor. Dr. Scholes. <laughs> oh, my God. Shaq is a national treasure. Jersey. Um, the Battle of San Jacinto, by the way, pretty epic. And lasts about as long as I do in bed if I can't think about baseball. Um, with cries of remember the Goliad and remember the Alamo being shouted upon Santa Ana's forces, Sam Houston has finally put together his crew. He's got a fighting force of Texans that are so pissed off and knew that if you surrender to Santa Ana, that means you're going to die anyhow. So what, what are you going to do? You've now backed them into a corner. They're angry. They're pissed off. They got the right cause. You're getting your ass kicked, motherfucker. All right? It's happening. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, Santa Ana totally screwed up on that one, too, because he actually leads his mm -hmm. army onto really an island. And then uh, the Texians burn the bridge. So he's got no way of escaping. And post no sentries, post no guards, um, <laughs> Sam, Sam Houston comes up with, with his forces. And these guys are pissed off. So there's there's definitely going to be a little ass whooping going on right here. And they've got cannons and uh, they're, they're ready to rock and roll here on these guys. Well, uh, this Battle of San Jacinto here. And by the way, we uh, we want to apologize to our good friend, Doug Urim. Uh, he's uh, we're, we're over our time right now. So he's waiting in the hallway to come in for his time for uh, his show. His show is called No Offense. Please check that one out. Doug's a great comic, good guy. Um, the reason why we're late is because I'm not not ratting him out, but Dr. Tristan Madrero was stuck in a little bit of traffic. That traffic cost him about 20 minutes of time in getting to the studio here today. The Battle of San Jacinto takes less than that. 18 minutes. 18 <laughs> fucking minutes. I do have to say, though, in 18 minutes, 750 Mexicans defeated about 1,500 Mexicans. Do you say Mexicans, Mexicans defeated? Mexicans, Mexicans, Texans, Texans, Texans. <laughs> defeated 1,500 Mexicans. So there's almost a two-to-one ratio going on there. They are, uh, you're right. The numbers are right on that. And it's it's weird too, because the, the terms change and everything here as well. But it is uh, the Houston's Texians. Okay, Houston Texans, see what we're doing there, folks? Yeah, well, um, it's confusing too, because there were Mexicans who were fighting with the Texians. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's Texans, there's Mexicans right. everywhere. Right, because there was Mexicans- um, on the American side, if you will, that there were well, Texans. Santa Ana was not a popular And guy. as a matter of fact, even in that battle, um, they had the Mexicans who were fighting with the Texians put like a cardboard uh, sign on their hats kind of a thing <laughs> so that the, the American Texians wouldn't confuse the Mexicans with the enemy, if you will. Yeah, now you see why. Uh, the guys that were on their side. So, I mean, yeah, I mean. Are you a Mexican or a Mexican? <laughs> <laughs> I just picture a bunch yes. of people out in, in like Universal Studios with the flags. Follow me, I'm a Mexican. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, on the sign they wrote, uh, uh, so we know that you're on our side. Say they took our jobs on the sign. <laughs> uh, we do got to get out of here in a couple of minutes, though. So I'm going to uh, uh, back up uh, what Tristan was saying here earlier. Uh, 600 Mexicans are killed and 700 are captured. Santa Ana himself will escape, okay, the day of the battle. The next morning, he's found dressed up in a common soldier's uniform. The man of destiny, folks. The man of destiny, the Napoleon of the West, the slaughter, the butcher of Goliad. Um, 
He's hiding out, pretending. He's like, no, I'm just, I'm just in disguise, guys. You know, I'm and, a private. Yeah, he yeah. dressed up as a private. If he could have put on a fucking cocktail dress. He would have at well, that point. You know? Why do yeah. I envision Oscar De La Hoya in a dress? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Well, during this uh, uh, Mexican army retreat, now uh, as the villain of the Alamo has been captured now by Sam Houston and the boys post San Jacinto, Jack Jackalford is also able to make his uh, escape. Him, along with another doctor, are able to ditch the Mexican army just weeks before the signing of the Treaty of Velasco, which will affect, you know, in a sense, end the uh, the Texas Revolution. Uh, in that treaty, it recognized Texas as its own state. Texas ruled as its own republic for 10 years before adopting statehood. Okay, yeah. so for 10 years, they were their own country out there. I got to jump in here, though, Absolutely. Kev, because – um, a lot of people think, well, the whole thing ended with the Treaty of Velasco. Well, that was one more um, shady deal with uh, our buddy uh, Santa Ana because he's now captured by by Sam Houston's forces. And he agrees to sign this this document kind of a thing. But he is now a prisoner of war of Sam Houston. And he's the president of Mexico. And he signs this thing. And he makes a like an agreement, like a verbal agreement, and there's actually two different agreements. But when that whole tr- what what the Americans were calling the treaty is sent back to Mexico City, the Mexican government doesn't sign it. So for those ten years, I don't always make agreements, but when I do, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those ten years from the end of that battle, um, you know. Yeah, there was a Texas independence, if you will, for those 10 years, but the Mexican government never recognized it, which lead us right into uh, Mr. Uh, President Polk. <laughs> 10 years later, now we're picking a fight with the Mexicans one more time to settle this whole Texas kind of a thing. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? And, you know, he was uh, – Polk is – trying to come up with a justification for making war with Mexico 10 years after this whole thing. And there's another U.S. representative by the name of Abraham Lincoln that's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. They never signed that agreement. That never really came to play. That was just, you know, the Mexicans won by de facto because the Mexican government wasn't strong enough to go back and and recapture lost territory. They were all the way down south. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this whole thing, as a matter of fact, Lincoln was given uh, the nickname Spotty Lincoln because now here's this – this U.S. representative, Abraham Lincoln, and he's saying, well, show me the spot where these Americans were killed on American soil. Show me where they Show hurt you. Show me the spot. Where, is the, where, where exactly did these people <laughs> die? And he got this nickname Spotty. But yeah, that was that was pretty – I never really realized that that whole – what we're calling the Treaty of uh, Velasco, that really never was a signed agreement. That was just, uh, you know, okay, you guys kicked the shit out of us. We, you won. but And we're not strong enough to come back and retake the – Lost territory, so we'll just draw a line and we'll stay over here. That's it. Yeah, and we'll, we'll fight about that later on, and that's what Polk uh, started picking a fight as to where exactly is the boundary line? Is it the Rio Grande or is it is it a little further well, north? We all know what winds up happening there, but uh, to just give the conclusion to uh, our boy Jack Shackelford here, yeah, the doctor goes back to Alabama. Uh, Texas gives him an honorable discharge. 
He's considered a hero for what he did and what he suffered through. Obviously, he lost his son, his nephews, his men, uh, survivor of the Goliad massacre. Went Half to, the male population of Cortland, Alabama. Yeah, so Shaq went back there and he just goes, well, fellas, <laughs> if you're a fella in this town, your odds just got a little better. All right? You're finding a date <laughs> on a Friday, yeah. thanks to me. All right? <laughs> but uh, it is interesting. He just wound up writing his memoirs, too, by the way. I don't know if you saw that, T. No, I didn't get – no. I, 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 he lost me at San Jacinto in 24 hours. That was a whole <laughs> lot, a whole lot to uh, – <laughs> to get into but he did good on that one um so we're gonna wrap up because our like i said our buddy doug's out there you guys have anything you want to say on the way out here because uh, he does make it back to alabama and winds up dying of uh, its natural causes that he dies of. yeah it is, and then dies an old man the, the county yes, the county that was named after him was that in texas or, or alabama? that's in texas that shackleford county texas. texas yep and then i just real quick i just wanted to say my very loose jersey tie-in this will be good at the battle of the alamo they won Richard Lucius Stockton, who was born in 1817, <laughs> possibly in Newark, New Jersey, <laughs> was one of the members of the uh, militia that was killed in uh, the Alamo. No shit. No shit. That's it. He was played by John Wayne, right? In, That's a, in the no, Alamo? No, no. That, that was the was other guy. Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett. <laughs> the Tennessean. But uh, you guys know the deal. You know how to support the show. We did all that up front on this one. Again, apologies to our friend Doug Yerm. Thank you to Dr. Tristan Vidrero for coming back in. I love seeing you, buddy. It's good to have you here. A lot of problem. Right. I know you probably talked about it before I got here, thanks to traffic, but your little uh, shindig that's going on in Moore's Plains, yes, I will sir. be there. Um, I'm going to drag my wife there. Nice. And if anybody has any insurance needs, they can always talk to me <laughs> after the show. <laughs> uh, doctor of insurance, folks. Lawrence Patrick, thank you for your great research on this one. Tristan Vidrero, thank you for everything there. Cahoons behind the ones and twos, thank you for everything you guys do. You guys know where to support us. That was Jack Shackelford, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born.